Part two, section seven of the Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I have one observation more to make on the Book of Chronicles, after which I shall pass on to review the remaining books of the Bible. In my observations on the Book of Genesis, I have quoted a passage from the thirty-sixth chapter, verse thirty-one, which evidently refers to a time after that kings began to reign over the children of Israel. And I have shown that as this verse is verbatim, the same as in Chronicles, chapter 1, verse 43, where it stands consistently with the order of history, which in Genesis it does not, the verse in Genesis and a great part of the 36th chapter have been taken from Chronicles, and that the book of Genesis, though it is placed first in the Bible and ascribed to Moses, has been manufactured by some unknown person after the book of Chronicles was written, which was not until at least eight hundred and sixty years after the time of Moses. The evidence I proceed by to substantiate this is regular, and has in it but two stages. First, as I have already stated, that the passage in Genesis refers itself for time to Chronicles. Secondly, that the book of Chronicles, to which this passage refers itself, was not begun to be written until at least 860 years after the time of Moses. To prove this, we have only to look into the thirteenth verse of the third chapter of the first book of Chronicles, where the writer, in giving the genealogy of the descendants of David, mentions Zedekiah. And it was in the time of Zedekiah that Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, 588 years before Christ, and consequently more than 860 years after Moses. Those who have superstitiously boasted of the antiquity of the Bible, and particularly of the books ascribed to Moses, have done it without examination, and without any other authority than that of one credulous man telling it to another. For, so far as historical and chronological evidence applies, the very first book in the Bible is not so ancient as the book of Homer, by more than three hundred years, and is about the same age with Aesop's fables. I am not contending for the morality of Homer. On the contrary, I think it a book of false glory, tending to inspire immoral and mischievous notions of honor. And with respect to Aesop, though the moral is in general just, the fable is often cruel, and the cruelty of the fable does more injury to the heart, especially in a child then the moral does good to the judgment. Having now dismissed kings and chronicles, I come to the next in course, the book of Ezra. As one proof among others, I shall produce to show the disorder in which this pretended word of God, the Bible, has been put together, and the uncertainty of who the authors were, we have only to look at the three first verses in Ezra and the two last in Chronicles, 
for by what kind of cutting and shuffling has it been that the three first verses in ezra should be the last two verses in chronicles or that the two last in chronicles should be the first three in ezra either the authors did not know their own works or the compilers did not know the authors two last verses of chronicles verse twenty two now in the first year of cyrus king of persia that the word of the lord spoken by the mouth of jeremiah might be accomplished the lord stirred up the spirit of cyrus king of persia that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying thus saith cyrus king of persia all the kingdoms of the earth hath the lord god of heaven given me and he hath charged me to build him an house in jerusalem which is in judah who is there among you of his people the lord his god be with him and let him go up three first verses of ezra verse one now in the first year of cyrus king of persia that the word of the lord by the mouth of jeremiah might be fulfilled the lord stirred up the spirit of cyrus king of persia that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also into writing saying thus saith cyrus king of persia the lord god of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him an house at jerusalem which is in judah who is there among you of all his people let god be with him and let him go up to jerusalem which is in judah and build the house of the lord of israel he is of god which is in jerusalem the last verse in chronicles is broken abruptly and ends in the middle of a phrase with the word up without signifying to what place this abrupt break and the appearance of the same verses in different books show as i have already said the disorder and ignorance in which the bible has been put together and that the compilers of it had no authority for what they were doing nor we any authority for believing what they have done note i observed as i passed along several broken and senseless passages in the bible without thinking them of consequence enough to be introduced in the body of the work such as that first samuel chapter thirteen verse one where it is said saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over israel saul chose him three thousand men etc the first part of the verse that saul reigned one year has no sense since it does not tell us what saul did nor say anything of what happened at the end of that one year and it is besides mere absurdity to say he reigned one year when the very next phrase says he had reigned two for if he had reigned two it was impossible not to have reigned one another instance occurs in joshua chapter five where the writer tells us a story of an angel for such the table of contents at the head of the chapter calls him appearing unto joshua and the story ends abruptly 
and without any conclusion the story is as follows verse thirteen and it came to pass when joshua was by jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand and joshua went unto him and said unto him art thou for us or for our adversaries verse fourteen and he said nay but as captain of the hosts of the lord am i now come and joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him what saith my lord unto his servant verse fifteen and the captain of the lord's host said unto joshua lose thy shoe from off thy foot for the place whereon thou standest is holy and joshua did so and what then nothing for here the story ends and the chapter too either this story is broken off in the middle or it is a story told by some jewish humorist in ridicule of joshua's pretended mission from god and the compilers of the bible not perceiving the design of the story have told it as a serious matter as a story of humor and ridicule it has a great deal of point for it pompously introduces an angel in the figure of a man with a drawn sword in his hand before whom joshua falls on his face to the earth and worships which is contrary to their second commandment and then this most important embassy from heaven ends in telling joshua to pull off his shoe it might as well have told him to pull up his breeches it is certain however that the jews did not credit everything their leaders told them as appears from the cavalier manner in which they speak of moses when he was gone into the mount as for this moses say they we want not what is become of him exodus chapter thirty two verse one End note the only thing that has any appearance of certainty in the book of ezra is the time in which it was written which was immediately after the return of the jews from the babylonian captivity about five hundred thirty-six years before christ ezra who according to the jewish commentators is the same person as is called esdras in the apocrypha is one of the persons who returned and who it is probable wrote the account of that affair nehemiah whose book follows next to ezra was another of the returned persons and who it is also probable wrote the account of the same affair in the book that bears his name but those accounts are nothing to us nor to any other persons unless it be to the jews as a part of the history of their nation and there is just as much of the word of god in those books as there is in any of the histories of france or rapine's history of england or the history of any other country but even in matters of historical record neither of those writers are to be depended upon in the second chapter of ezra the writer gives a list of the tribes and families and of the precise number of souls of each that returned from babylon to jerusalem 
and this enrollment of the persons so returned appears to have been one of the principal objects for writing the book but in this there is an error that destroys the intention of the undertaking the writer begins his enrollment in the following manner chapter two verse three the children of parosh two thousand one hundred seventy and four verse four the children of shephatia three hundred seventy and two and in this manner he proceeds through all the families and in the sixty-fourth verse he makes a total and says the whole congregation together was forty and two thousand three hundred and three score but whoever will take the trouble of casting up the several particulars will find that the total is but twenty nine thousand eight hundred and eighteen so that the error is twelve thousand five hundred forty two what certainty then can there be in the bible for anything nehemiah in like manner gives a list of the returned families and of the number of each family he begins as in ezra by saying chapter seven verse eight the children of parosh two thousand three hundred and seventy two and so on through all the families the list differs in several of the particulars from that of ezra in the sixty-sixth verse nehemiah makes a total and says as ezra had said the whole congregation together was forty and two thousand three hundred and three score but the particulars of this list make a total but of thirty one thousand eighty nine so that the error here is eleven thousand two hundred and seventy one these writers may do well enough for bible makers but not for anything where truth and exactness is necessary the next book in course is the book of esther if madame esther thought it any honour to offer herself as a kept mistress to ahasuerus or as a rival to queen vashti who had refused to come to a drunken king in the midst of a drunken company to be made a show of for the account says they had been drinking seven days and were merry let esther and mordecai look to that it is no business of ours at least it is none of mine besides which the story has a great deal the appearance of being fabulous and is also anonymous i pass on to the book of job the book of job differs in character from all the books we have hitherto passed over treachery and murder make no part of this book it is the meditations of a mind strongly impressed with the vicissitudes of human life and by turns sinking under and struggling against the pressure it is a highly wrought composition between willing submission and involuntary discontent it shows man as he sometimes is more disposed to be resigned than he is capable of being patience has but a small share in the character of the person of whom the book treats on the contrary his grief is often impetuous but he still endeavours to keep a guard upon it and seems determined in the midst of accumulating ills to impose upon himself 
the hard duty of contentment i have spoken in a respectful manner of the book of job in the former part of the age of reason but without knowing at that time what i have learned since which is that from all the evidence that can be collected the book of job does not belong to the bible i have seen the opinion of two hebrew commentators abernezra and spinoza upon the subject they both say that the book of job carries no internal evidence of being an hebrew book that the genius of the composition and the drama of the piece are not hebrew that it has been translated from another language into hebrew and that the author of the book was a gentile that the character represented under the name of satan which is the first and only time this name is mentioned in the bible does not correspond to any hebrew idea and that the two convocations which the deity is supposed to have made of those whom the poem calls sons of god and the familiarity which this supposed satan is stated to have with the deity are in the same case it may also be observed that the book shows itself to be the production of a mind cultivated in science which the jews so far from being famous for were very ignorant of the allusions to objects of natural philosophy are frequent and strong and are of a different cast to anything in the books known to be hebrew the astronomical names pleiades orion and arcturus are greek and not hebrew names and as it does not appear from anything that is to be found in the bible that the jews knew anything of astronomy or that they studied it they had no translation of those names into their own language but adopted the names as they found them in the poem that the jews did not translate the literary productions of the gentile nations into the hebrew language and mix them with their own is not a matter of doubt the thirty-first chapter of proverbs is an evidence of this it is there said verse one the word of king lemuel the prophecy which his mother taught him this verse stands as a preface to the proverbs that follow and which are not the proverbs of solomon but of lemuel and this lemuel was not of the kings of israel nor of judah but of some other country and consequently a gentile the jews however have adopted his proverbs and as they cannot give any account who the author of the book of job was nor how they came by the book and as it differs in character from the hebrew writings and stands totally unconnected with every other book and chapter in the bible before it and after it it has all the circumstantial evidence of being originally a book of the gentiles note the prayer known by the name of augur's prayer in the thirtieth chapter of proverbs immediately preceding the proverbs of lemuel and which is the only sensible well-conceived and well-expressed prayer in the bible has much the appearance of being a prayer taken from the gentiles the name of augur occurs on no other occasion than this 
and he is introduced together with the prayer ascribed to him in the same manner and nearly in the same words that lemuel and his proverbs are introduced in the chapter that follows the first verse of the thirtieth chapter says the words of augur the son of iaca even the prophecy here the word prophecy is used with the same application it has in the following chapter of lemuel unconnected with anything of prediction the prayer of augur is in the eighth and ninth verses remove far from me vanity and lies give me neither riches nor poverty but feed me with food convenient for me lest i be full and deny thee and say who is the lord or lest i be poor and steal and take the name of my god in vain this has not any of the marks of being a jewish prayer for the jews never prayed but when they were in trouble and never for anything but victory vengeance and riches End note. End of part two section seven